thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to look at your word and see what you'd have us to say. We thank you for just the fellowship that we've had today and all that's been going on and ask you to bless this time in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Psalm 119, starting at verse 145. We only have four more couplets to go and uh, four more sections to go and we'll be done with Psalm 119, so we'll be done in, in two to four weeks. <laughs> right. Well, I get eight done. Uh, eight done. <laughs> sometimes. Sometimes more. 145. I cried with my whole heart, Hear me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. I cried unto you, Save me, and I shall keep your testimonies. I prevented the dawning of the morning and cried, I hoped in your word. My eyes prevent the night watches that I might meditate in your word. Hear my voice according to your loving kindness, O Lord. Quicken me according to your judgment. They draw nigh that follow after mischief. They are far from your law. You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. Concerning your testimony, I have known of old that you have founded them forever. All right, so we're going to look at this little section here. This is the section on cough, which has the idea of horizon or behind, the, the sun on the horizon or behind is the, what that letter is associated with in the, in the Hebrew. And it starts at 145. I cried with my whole heart, hear me, O Lord, I will keep your statutes. And he says he, he cried. He cried out with his whole heart, his, his inner soul, his inner being. You know, and this is what God is expecting us to do, cry out to him with everything in us. Not just, you know, we hear people that will say, well, I called out to God. You know, this is the idea. You're in the foxhole. They say there's no atheist in foxholes. No, they're calling out, but not necessarily to God. <laughs> you know, but it's this whole idea. God, if you don't hear me, then everything is wrong, and I'm going to be having trouble. My whole heart. And this word hear me means listen to respond. God, and David's saying, listen to me. I want, I, I'm, I'm wanting you to listen. Not just listen to me, but respond to me. And have you ever been in a place where you're talking to somebody and you know that they're really not listening to you? They're hearing your words, but not necessarily hearing it for any care at all. They're just, you know, words are hitting them, but not, and sometimes we do that to people. And David's saying, God, I don't want you just listening to my words. I want you to respond to my words. My whole heart is pouring out to you. And it says, God, if you're going to do this, I will keep your, sta your statutes. I will guard your statutes. I will obey you. And, you know, this is something, there's great comfort in knowing that God is going to listen to us and that God is going to keep his word and God is going to do what it is he says he's going to do. And I have great comfort in that. When I read God's word and it says he's going to do such and such, I know that he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And this is why I have no problem when things happen to me because he says all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. He says that all that he is in, in charge, nothing happens that he doesn't control or allow. And I have great confidence that because God is true I can follow him and know that he is going to be good 
and do what he says he's going to do. And, you know, we want to be, be very much aware of that. He says, I cried unto you, save me, and I shall keep your testimonies. Now, this word save is to deliver, but even more than that, it's the idea of snatching out of the trial. Not just delivering, but he snatches us out of the midst of this. And that's what I was talking about this morning when, when we're going through hard times and we finally surrender to God. He's, with, everything's just all of a sudden changes. The peace that comes along with it, the understanding that comes along with it. He just says, I've snatched you from the trials. I've put you someplace else. And I love the idea that God, when he delivers us, is just like that. He saves us from the trials that we're in. And, you know, there's, and I don't know if everybody else understands it, but I love the peace that comes with knowing that God is in charge. Just the idea that God is going to be faithful. Yes. You know, and I've shared with you all, I love the first three chapters of Job where we see Satan having to go to God before he can even do anything to Job. Yeah, and to me, that's like, that's not just Job that that happened to. That is every believer that, that is covered by God. Satan has to go and ask for permission to do something to them. And, I'm gonna, and I will go further than that. I believe that Satan has to ask for permission for God to do anything to anybody. Because if he had his way, anybody who wasn't covered by God would be dead. Because he doesn't want them to come to God. Well, he just used them because he doesn't like people. No. People are created in the image of God, and his whole purpose is to hurt God by taking away as many people as he can. So if God just gave him carte blank, and a lot of people believe that he has carte blank to, you know, Satan has carte blank to do whatever he wants, he does not. He has to go before God and say, you know, well, what can I do to this person? What can I do to this person? And God, on, his, on those that are on his children, gives him a lot of leeway. And as we've said before, we don't even have to have problems with it. We have enough trouble in our own flesh. We have the pride of the life, the, the pride of the eyes, and the, and the lust of the, the pride of life, the pride of the, of the eyes, and the lust of the flesh that give us enough trouble in and of ourselves. We don't even need Satan to lead us into tri troubles because we have enough trouble ourselves. But for everything that is out there, God has put Satan on a leash and says, You can only go so far. Because again, if he could have his way, he'd just destroy the whole world and end in, in the, in the whole process. And God says, nope, you can't do that. They're going to have a free will. They're going to have an option to, option to come to me. You may not like that, but you're, they, they're going to have that option. And so he's on a leash. And you know, the, the great blessing and stability of understanding that. God, nothing is going to happen that you're not aware of. And as I've said before, the word you'll never hear God say, well, you'll never hear God say, well, I never knew that was going to happen. You're never going to hear those from God, ever. For all of eternity, you'll never hear him say, well, I just didn't know that was going to happen. He knows everything, and he's got a plan for it. And, you know, that gives great comfort. Because no matter what happens to me, I know God has a plan. Now, I may not respond quite the way he, want, he really wanted me to respond, but he already knows how I was going to respond. And he's the only one in, in, in existence that could tell you this is what could have happened. You know, when you stand before the beam of seat, he goes, well, this is what you get. These are what you could have had if you made the right decision. You know, here's the stack of stuff you lost. Here's the stack of stuff you get. And he's the only one that can do that that exists. 
because he's the only one that knows what should have happened or what could have happened. And you know, it's, it's a great blessing and, and, and relief to me to know all I've got to do is turn over to God. Now, and I'm getting better at turning things over to God. Yeah. And I used to fight hard against him. Yeah. And you can't win against God. <laughs> you just can't win against God. It's not worth trying to fight against him. You're much better off saying, okay, God, I give up. <laughs> you know, let's do it your way. Yeah. And you, you, we kind of get this as, even as parents sometimes when we look at our kids and go, you know, especially when they get to be teenagers and you start letting the leashes go on them a little bit and letting them make mistakes. You know, and you're going, you really don't want to do that, but you know, if you really want to do it and you think you, this is the way to go, I'll be here when you, when you fall flat on your face and you need help. And we did that a number of times with our kids. Okay, and you know, you know, this is really not what you want to do and here's what the Bible says about it. But if you really want to make that, that mistake, I'm not going to stand in your way. And of course, all teenagers know better than their parents how to, how to, <laughs> how to go about life. It really doesn't matter how old you are. You'll know, you know more than everybody else, even though they've been through it before. But you know, just to be able to say to God, God, I just want to surrender and give, give, yes. let you have your way. Yeah. How much easier, is, is, as Amy was saying, is to be obedient than to have to worry about getting caught in your disobedience and making corrections and having to worry about getting caught or just living with the consequences of doing the wrong decision. So many times we, as pastors and, and, and counselors to people, we deal with people who have made bad decisions with God, and then they're asking, well, how do I make this right? How do I live from this point on correctly? Well, it would have been a whole lot easier if you had done it right in the first place, but now let's, let, let's go ahead and try to figure out how do you now make it right. You're on your, you're on your third marriage. You know, how do we now balance out your whole life that's been, been messed up because you didn't obey God in the first place? You were so heavily into this sin that now you're, now you're suffering from the you know, uh, diseases because of all the one-night stands that you had because you didn't obey God on fornication. And now how do we now deal with the rest of your life? You know, and it's tough because consequences for sin can be long-term. They're not always just one time and it's over with. It's only been in the last couple of years that I will have the feeling of conviction when I do something. It used to be I could do it with impunity and it didn't matter. Now I get a hideous sense of conviction. The closer you get to God, the more you get convicted of your, of your wrong. And, but it, you know, it's kind of interesting when you look at people, some people have ruined their life with just one, one, one sinful activity. You know, they go out and they get drunk and they, you know, have a one night stand and all of a sudden they end up with either a sexually transmitted disease or for the woman she ends up pregnant. Or both. Or both. <laughs> and now has a issue that's consequence for the rest of their life. Never gone out drinking before, but I'm so depressed today I'm going to go get drunk and then they end up in an accident and kill somebody. And they ended up in prison. You know, Consequences for sin can be very serious sometimes. Sometimes they're really, you know, not that big a deal, but sometimes they are extremely consequential that's going to change your life forever. But uh, it's a pretty critical thing that, you know, how easy it is to walk away and not do things God's way. And even when sometimes we're praying and we end up making the wrong decisions. It's so critical that we open ourselves to listen to God and really listen 
Because sometimes we're so wanting to do something, and I don't know if you've ever been there, I know I have been, where I'm going to do something that I really want to do, and I even go to God, God, I'm, you know, what do you think I should do? And God, okay, God, you didn't scream out and, you know, and thunder into me something different, I'm going to go do what I want to do. You didn't thunder to me, so it's, my idea has got to be the right answer. Because sometimes we get so wrapped up in this is what I want to do that it makes it hard to listen to God. Because we're expecting that thunder and lightning to tell us don't do it. And, and he's like, uh, no, I still only speak in a still small voice. Get your emotions out of the way and listen. And we've got to be careful about that because so many decisions, and I've done, them, I've done them myself, made decisions that hurt family because I did what I thought was good and I thought that God was in it. And they were the wrong answers. And there's times when I've gone through and done the right thing and it's been a good, really good thing. Yeah, I've done both ways, just like everybody else. Yeah. But you know, the problem is, especially when, when you're a, a husband, you, everything you decide affects your wife and your family, your kids. For a mother, it, everything they do will affect their, their husband to a degree, even though they're, they're not the head of the family, but definitely will affect their kids, potentially affect grandkids. Yeah. Really serious issues when we make mistakes because, you know, I don't believe in generational curses, but when you do something wrong, it flows down to other generations, not as a curse, but just as a consequence. And we see, and I was talking with Annie this morning, when we do something wrong in our life, our kids usually pick up that attitude, and they don't just pick it up at the same level we have it. They intensify it. So if we're disrespectful to people, they get disrespectful at a higher degree, and then your grandkids are going to get, without God changing, it will get to a higher level than that. And this happens whether it's disrespect or, or even alcohol or drugs. You know, you start out with alcohol, and you're, you're a functioning drunk, and then your kids become drunks and lose everything. And if it doesn't get stopped, your, your grandkids will leave me worse. It's something that we look at. There's consequences for incorrect behavior. There's consequences for good behavior too, but we don't usually think of, we like to think of those as rewards. And we can also do things right that can be the same type of thing where they'll pick it up and do it better than we did because they get to start out at a higher level. And I love that the, the founding fathers kept talking, especially the pilgrims. We're going and we want our children to stand on our shoulders <laughs> and be higher and we're hoping that our grandchildren will be even higher because they'll stand on their parents' shoulders. And we see some of that in history. People like the, the Adams family, Quincy, John Quincy, and all of them, you know, generation after generation of people who followed God in a mighty way because they all stood on the other shoulders and started at a higher level. And I love it because I, my kids keep coming back to me. We didn't know we learned this much. Now they're all away in, in other churches. They're going, everybody's amazed at what we know because we used to discuss things at home. You know, not that we had great Bible studies or anything, but God was alive in our home and we brought God into every decision and they learned. We want to be very careful. I went through a whole very introspective time when my kids started going off on their own, especially when I had one that went off, and off the deep end. And I struggled pretty good myself with you know, all the things I had done wrong. <laughs> But you know, we need to be very careful because we, even though there's things that we've done wrong with our kids, hopefully there's things we've done right with our kids and, we, and hopefully we've done the best job we could at the time. 
And we cannot sit there and try to beat ourselves up for the past because there's no, number one, we, there's nothing we can do about it. I cannot go back and change the past. I cannot go back and change my workaholic days with my oldest kids, where, my oldest son, where I didn't see him for <laughs> several years. You know, and I literally did not see my oldest son for you know, pretty much the, most of his early time because I'd go to work at 7, 8 o'clock in the morning and I didn't come back home until 8, 9 o'clock at night. It wasn't until he hit ninth grade that it kind of dawned on me, this kid's getting old. And I'm losing this kid. <laughs> and that's when a lot of things turned around in my life and stopped working so many hours. We're talking about 15, 16 years that he had neglect. Now, he, he's grown and he's learned a lot. Now, my youngest daughter, she, she was the exact opposite. She had daddy all the time, pretty much. Because <laughs> she, she was only like four or, five, four or five years old when I kind of came to my senses. She has a whole different, different being raised. You know, but we cannot go back and say, you know, well, I'm such an awful, terrible person, I messed up their life. Well, yes, we may, may have messed up their life in some ways, but they're still accountable for their own reaction and how they respond. And we, we cannot be ones that criticize ourselves for our shortcomings. You know, we can just pray for them and say, God, I'm sorry that I did this, and forgive it. And he will. But the great news is God can redeem the lost time with them. He can win them back. He can, he can teach them. He can grow them. And at that point, it's up to them whether they're going to accept or reject. And, you know, and I know I'm talking to people who've had some real hard times with their family, you know, but your children are responsible for their decisions. No matter how good or bad a job you did, they're still responsible for their position with God. And we cannot condemn ourselves for it. And we did the, hopefully we did the best job that we could, the best job that we were able to at the time. And I don't think there's very many parents out there that are purposely trying to destroy their children. Okay? Even many of the people that we deal here in chloride that have had really rough lives and are really hurting their children, those parents are not going out purposely saying, let me, how, let me see how I can ruin my kid's life today. They're just living for themselves and not even thinking about their, you know, how they're influencing their children in the long term. I don't care if you're the best parent in the world, there's still things you could have done better. Period. And we want to be very careful of not trying to put ourselves under condemnation for our failures as a parent. Because we've done the best we could, the best we were trained, the best we could handle at the time that we were dealing with it. And everybody in life usually learns more as they go along. And I've always been amazed. God gives us children when we're young and stupid. And then when we're older and could handle the children, we go, man, I could, you know... You know, I, I really should have done this, and hopefully we get a chance to work with our grandkids. <laughs> Which doesn't always happen to the, in today's world with the, with the nuclear families instead of the extended families. We don't always get to work with our grandkids the way we'd like. And I think God has a purpose in that whole family unit that he's saying, grandparents get to help with the parents and get to help teach the parents how to be parents. One of the greatest problems we have in our generation now is how many kids out there are raising their kids without the help of knowing what it means to be a parent. You know, how many people are out there raising children that don't even know what it means to be a parent? They barely know how to be a husband and wife. And then they're trying to raise their kids and while they're still too selfish and, and motivated in, by everything but taking care of their kids. And then we're in a world that tells them the kids aren't important. 
Yeah. Which is why we're having people getting, having kids so late in life and when they do have kids, you know, my oldest son, the other, you know, when he first had his baby, goes, how do you guys afford to have three, have, have, have four kids? Well, we made the sacrifices to have four kids. All right, let's go. Verse 47. I prevented the dawning of the morning and cried, I hoped in your word. My eyes prevent the night watches and I, that I might meditate in your word. Now this word prevent, it does not mean what you think it means, obviously. It really means in the Hebrew, he's looking forward to, he's anticipating. He goes, I anticipate the dawning of the morning. You know, and I cried, I hope in your word. You know, and that means I wait for, I'm tarrying for your word. David so often in the Psalms talks about crying out to God early in the morning. You know, getting into his word early. Jesus got up early in the morning before the sunlight in most days so that he could spend time with the Father. And this is why I encourage people. I hear people, and I'm, and I'm not a real morning person. I'm a night owl, but I've learned that I need to start my day with God, whatever that starting is. <laughs> and nowadays it's starting earlier than, than I like with the second job. But you know, we start our day looking for God in his word, praying to him, crying out to him. You know, and this is what he's really expecting. And David says, I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to dawn, and I'm hoping for your word. I'm, putting my, I'm waiting for your word, God. What, what do you have for me today? And this is why I share. We have the Bible reading schedule, whatever you're doing on your, on your own individual study. But if you ever notice when you read God's word in the morning, and that's usually exactly what you need that day to get through the day, it's amazing to me. We're, we're following a schedule, and yet that schedule seems to almost always match up to what you need as an individual to get through that day. And it's an amazing thing when you, you, know, when you see how living and, and powerful God's Word is. Well, that's what I said this morning. I don't know why forgiveness has been the theme for, for almost uh, six weeks now. Mm-hmm. And you know, forgiveness it keeps coming up and coming up. So obviously people are needing to learn forgiveness. And because it's been over and over, Cal taught about it. I keep mentioning it. You know, and it's not my intention. If you look at the notes that I do have, which aren't much, it's not my intention to be talking about forgiveness every time. But forgiveness keeps coming up for whatever reason. Well, Jesus said, they'll know you're my disciples by your love one for another. And we've got to start with love one for another in a family. But that love also has to expand out to the world. And this is where evangelists really have that, have that advantage because they do have that love and desire for the world in a way that most people don't. You know, but I'm really wanting to see us. You know, what should motivate us to, to witness to people? Hell. Well, hell, but the, the desire that we love people enough that we don't want to see them go to hell. That's right. You know, and that should really motivate us, that love that God puts in our heart, for God so loved the world that he gave and we've talked about this. Jesus hung on the cross, not because man put him there. He hung on the cross because the Father said, I want you to do it. And he said, yes. And he stayed there. He had the power to be able to tell the Father, these people aren't worth it. I don't want anything to do with them. They're not worth it. And he could have just said, we'll just send them all to hell and we're going to, I'm coming back to you, Dad. You know, Dad uh, we'll destroy the world. We'll send them all to hell. And maybe if we want to, we'll start all over again. The power of and the love that held him on that cross is amazing. Yeah, and very unfathomable to us. 
I mean, if any one of us were being beat to within an inch of our life, stuck with, na- you know, stuck with nails on the tree and knowing that we had the power to stop every bit of it, we'd look at all of this and say, you know, how much love did he have for us? And he just wants us to begin to show that kind of love to people that don't deserve it. You know, I mean, the thing we've got to keep in mind is none of us deserve his grace anyway. None of us, no matter how good we might think we are compared to other people, none of us deserve grace. And yet we're given grace. And it's very vital, vital that we understand this. It's a, it is a mind-boggling thing to think of how much God loves us and how much grace it gives us. You know, have you ever heard anybody say, well, they don't deserve grace? I've heard people say that. I'm going, and my answer lately has been very simple. Of course they don't deserve grace. If they deserved it, it would be wages. <laughs> yeah. If they deserved it, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be grace anymore. Grace goes to those who don't deserve it. Because if you deserved it, you would, you would have earned it. And grace is not earned. Grace is God just saying, I'm giving you. I, I, know, you don't, I know you don't deserve it, but I'm just going to give you all these blessings. And we have to understand that. And he goes, and the second part of this was in verse 148, my eyes prevent or, you know, my eyes look forward to the night watches that I might meditate on your word. Talk it over, you know, turn it over and over and over again. And we've talked about the difference between the word meditate by the way God uses it and the way the Eastern mysticism uses it. Now, Eastern mysticism and the world think of meditating as empty your mind to become an empty vessel so Satan can plug whatever he wants into your head. That's literally what they're doing. You know, empty your mind, don't think about anything, put your defenses down, and the demons can come in and feed you with whatever they want to feed you with. That's meditation by the world standard. God says, meditate on my word. You turn his word over and over and over again in your head. And then God turns and says, hey, this is what I'm trying to tell you. This is what you really want. Now, let me tie this in with this verse over here and this verse over here, and now you really are starting to meditate. God's meditation, and David wasn't just saying, you know, I'm just going to think of nothing while I wait for God to put something in my head. (laughs) Because he actually defines it. That I will meditate in your word. This is what meditation is really about. You read, your, you read your Bible early in the morning and all of a sudden you just kind of turn, turn that verses over in your head all day long. And then you watch how God uses it to, to answer your questions that day. It literally means, if you take it from the Hebrew, it means to, to growl and, and, and mutter. And it, they, yeah, it means to just keep repeating it to yourself and ponder and mutter it over and over again. And, you know, it's kind of an amazing thing sometimes how God will put something into your head and just, you just ponder it all day long. And it's like, okay, God, what is, what is it exactly you're trying to bring to me, to my attention from all of this? Uh, this afternoon when I was talking to Kevin, he mentioned a song that had been on my, on my head and in my brain for the last three days. Every time I've thought about it, it's every time I'm sitting there doing something else, a song pops into my head. And it's a song that I haven't sung for years. And yet... It's been stuck into my head, you know, for a while. And I love it because the ending verse, the ending of the verse that keeps going, Jesus is the Lord of the way I feel. And how many people let feelings run them instead of letting God run their feelings? And it's a very important thought, you know. And not that I have that problem, but it's been stuck in my head for the last 
last couple days, I'm going, okay, God, am I having this problem, or is there something I need to be aware of coming up? Uh, and sometimes as a pastor, you have to be aware of something coming up that may need to be dealt with. Uh, and Because I usually have been one that's very much understood that feelings don't mean anything. And when I was discipled long ago, we had this picture of a little engine and, and, and coal car and a caboose, and it was facts, faith, and then feelings. And the, basically it was the feelings of the caboose. And it says, never put the caboose in front of the engine. You know, our feelings are not really important. If I'm feeling good, great. If I'm feeling bad, who cares? God says, the facts are these. And then our faith is based upon the facts. That's why faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The facts are what we build our life upon. And then faith follows those facts and says, okay, here we go. As long as you've got good facts, your faith is going to be sturdy. But never base it on your feelings. Well, I just feel miserable to God today, so I must not be saved. You must not be out there because, God, I just feel so miserable. God says, no, I'm always out here. I'm always in charge. Forget about what you're feeling. I always tell people, they go, well, how are you doing today? I'm going, I'm, I'm going to have a great day. Well, how do you know? I go, because I choose to have a good day. You know, I don't let my feelings dictate, dictate to me whether I've had a good day or not because God has planned my day. He knows what he's going to allow come my way. And even if I feel miserable by what he sends me, he, he gave it to me. He gave it to me for a reason. And so he's in control. I am going to have a good day. Just plain and simple. Does that mean every day is a wonderful day that I want to relive? No, there are many days that I do not want to relive. But I'm going to have a blessed day because I'm going to be looking for what God is doing in that day. And sometimes when we have a really bad day and we're living, in, we're living with God and we're being as joyful as we can be in that bad day, we're being a great blessing to other people that look at us and say, how can you stay so cheerful when you're, being, when you're having such a bad day? How can you have a smile on your face? You know, how can you be praising God with all this stuff going on? Because God is in charge. God is in charge. And then when you have a really good day, it's like, all right, God. You know, it doesn't give you, in my experience, he doesn't give me a lot of those really good days. But you know, because my attitude is that, he's, that, I, that I am blessed and he's got a reason for it, most of my days are pretty good days. Are they super days that, you know, that, you know, that are super fantastic? No, I don't get a whole lot of those. Because he's saying, I'm going to just test you. And some of the tests I go through are pretty tough sometimes because he knows, that, he knows the level I'm at in my trust for him. And I wouldn't want most people to go through some of the days that I go to test the, whether I'm going to have a good day or not. Yeah. But we're going to be looking at this. God is going to test you at the level that you're able to, to go through. When somebody goes through, I'm really having a really hard time. I'm going, oh, isn't it wonderful that God is thinking that you're able to handle those kind of tests? But you know, even when we say that, the kindergartner who gets a, a test on 1 plus 1 equals 2 is going to be freaking out about that test. That's a hard test to the kindergartner or the first grader. Okay, give it to a high school student, they're going to look at you like, what, what the heck are you, this isn't even a test, are you, what's, what's the catch to this test? God does the same thing with us. If we're in kindergarten, he gives, a, gives you a kindergarten test. But to the kindergartner, that test is just as hard as the, the university student on his doctorate getting their test at their level. So we want to be very careful. Number one, never look at somebody and say, well, what are you complaining about your test? You know, it's, it's a piece of cake. You know, it may be a piece of cake to you, but it wasn't to them. 
So we want to be very careful about that. Verse 49 says, Hear my voice according unto your loving kindness, O Lord. Quicken me according to your judgments. Hear my voice. And this is the idea of, this one isn't just hear and answer. This one is hear and discern my voice. Know that it's me speaking, God. And it says, according to your loving kindness, your mercies in some of the newer versions. His loving kindness, his mercy, his compassion. And Lord, quicken me. Make me alive according to your judgments. Have you ever thought about God's judgments being something that make you alive? We go back to this idea of if we're obedient to God, we get blessed. His judgment on us at that time is to bless us. When you think, when you think, when you're, when you're God's judgment, I automatically have a negative doesn't have to be. He could be judging you and saying, you did really good today. Because most, most of us think of judgment as being something that's nothing but bad. Same thing when I use the word consequence. We always think of consequences being something bad. But if I do something good, I still have a consequence, but I just usually think of it as a reward. But the consequence for doing the right things is reward, or good, good consequences. But again, it's one of those things where we hear those words and we automatically jump, it's always negative. God's judgment on us might be that you're a really good child in, in doing what I want you to do. And his judgments are just rules, are just rules. Am I going to obey what he says or am I going to disobey? Am I going to struggle, follow him or am I going to you know, fight, fight tooth and nail all along? And by following him, we are made alive. We are quickened. And this is so important for us. Uh, verse 150 says, They draw nigh that follow after mischief, and they are far from the law. And this is kind of interesting. If people are following pursuing mischief, pursuing disobedience. They are far from the law, and they keep getting further away. And we've talked many times, when people are living in sin, or if you can remember a sin in your own life, sin never stays at the same level. It always intensifies. The alcoholic is no longer satisfied with the one or two drinks that they start with. They've got to have they get to the point where they're drinking virtually 24-7. They wake up in the morning, and they get their drink, and they drink all day long. And that's the worst case. That's the worst case and they, when they get that far. The, the drug user gets that same way. They just, the, the hit that used to send them, send them up in the, in the, the atmosphere now doesn't work. They have to go with more and more. The person who's into pornography goes from pornography and eventually will either go into more hardcore pornography or act out physically what they've been seeing. You know, we keep going further. The liar gets, gets away with the lies and end up giving bigger and bigger and bigger lies until you get to somebody who we describe as a pathological liar. They, they just cannot tell the truth anymore. You know, all of this, the further you get from God's law because you're pursuing after the sin. And this is part of the reason why it said, God says, you're, be, be sure that your sin will find you out. Because eventually, if you keep following that sin, your sin is going to get so bad that it's going to get out there anyway. And you can't hide your sin. No matter what your sin is, it's going to be revealed. Because God's going to say, especially with his children, I am not going to let you sin and get away with it because you're my child. I'm going to bring you under discipline. 
And here it says when they, they draw nigh into their sin and they get further from God's law. And, you know, and I love God's word. I love his law. I love, I love getting into his word and saying, God, how do you want me to live? And you know, how do you want me to change my life? How do we redeem the time with, our, with God? We start following his law from wherever we're at. And he starts saying, okay, you're now following me. When somebody gets saved, you know, one of the things I've seen when people get saved is sometimes, especially if they don't get into God's word, they get gloriously saved, they get changed life, and they give up a lot of their sins. And, you know, what happens, you know, we see this, uh, let's say somebody who's an alcoholic stops drinking. The family is usually, because they've gone through it more than once, and they're out there saying, okay, how long are you going to last this time before you fall off the wagon and go right back to your sin? Now, how long until you quit not taking your, your drugs and you end up back into your drugs? How long until you stop lying or are you going to go back into your lying? And it almost becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. We expect them to do it. We treat them as if they're going to do it. Yeah. And we put them in a place where it makes it easy for them to do it. Any sin that you give up is going to be this case. And, you know, we want to be very careful of this because we need to be trusting in God. It's his strength that keeps us from being turned over and re repair, returning back to the old thing. And we also have the problem, just as the children of Israel kept wanting to go back to Egypt. You know, they're in the wilderness, griping all the time. We had it so wonderful in Egypt. We were slaves. We had to work all, all day long as a slave, and we, we only had what they would allow us to have. But man, we were so much better, than, better, better in Egypt than we have it with God. But, and we say that, and you know, we kind of laugh, but you know, how many times do we do that as a Christian? You know, it was so much better back. We tend to forget <laughs> what it was really like. In your mind, the, the good old days. You know, back when I could do this. Back before all the conviction I had. Back before, you know, when I could just get away with all this stuff. It was so wonderful, God. You know, the sin of doing it my way, like you said long ago, that's almost as addictively destructive as alcoholism, as any of these other sins. Probably worse so because people aren't able to see that attitude. Because it's real easy for people to see your alcoholism or your addiction to drugs or your lying. But when you're just doing things your way, you know it. God knows it, but not necessarily very many other people know it. But you don't always know it because you convinced yourself that, hey, I found something here that's maybe only three words. But it says I'm doing right. Oh, you'll justify it. You know what's wrong, but you justify it. But the most important thing is the more we choose to follow God. And that was a good point you made, Kevin, because it's when you feel he doesn't want you to get saved because that means he's not hurting God by taking somebody away. And remember, I've said that, you know, Satan is not the king of hell. He's a prisoner of hell. So all he's trying to do is get people away from God. So he hurts God. So he doesn't want you to get saved. If you're saved but aren't doing anything, He's going to leave you alone because you're not a threat to, the, his, to what he's doing and you're not building the kingdom. The moment you start moving for God to do whatever, whether it's to attend more than one Sunday morning, whether it's to teach, whether it's to witness, then he starts saying, okay, now it's time to attack. And the more you do, the more he's going to attack. You know, and this is something we want to be careful because we do have influence over people around us. 
you know, as a pastor, I would never drink in, you know, I don't drink anyway, but I would never drink in a public place because of just that exact thing. Well, the pastor could do it. You know, and I don't, I'm not in, I don't want to do it anyway. I, I am afraid to drink because of my family history. Yeah. You know, my father was drunk until he got saved. My great-grandfather, my grandfather was a drunk. You know, and I know my personality. I don't stop at just one thing. I, you know, I don't drink coffee because if I start drinking coffee, the pot would be gone. You know, I don't just drink one cup of coffee. I drink the entire pot. But we want to be very careful of because of how much we influence others. And that's why Paul says, you know, it's not wrong to do these things, but if it's going to harm a brother, yeah. don't do it. Verse 151. You are near, O Lord, and all your commandments are truth. I hope that this one really impacts us. You are near. God is always near, and we need to keep that in mind. Even if we think he's far away, he's near. <laughs> if I feel like he's far away, forget my feelings, he's near. Yeah, this is something that's important to us. His words are true. You know, and this is why we've got to keep in mind whatever he says is true. It doesn't matter what I think about it. doesn't matter what I feel about it. doesn't matter whether I believe it or not. His word is true. <laughs> And this is something that I hear people, well, I don't believe that. Well, I don't care if you believe it. It doesn't change the fact that God said it. You know, and this is why I've, and I've shared with you, I love Dr. McGee when he says that where he and, and God's word disagree, that McGee is wrong. <laughs> okay? And I've, I've had that same one. Not that I disagree very often, but if I disagree with what I read, it's not God's problem that I disagree. It's my problem, and I need to understand why I disagree disagree and I have to look at and look at I don't know about this show me show me why it's true God you said it it's true it's an amazing thing when you really think about the things that God has done for you to prove his love and his care for you, you know, little things sometimes sometimes big things you know, and you know we want to be very careful sometimes we gripe about things going on in our life and it's God's keeping us out of trouble as in this case not knowing the things that God can do you know, we've shared with you the time that the tie rod went out on Lynn's car and she made three turns, you know, which you can't do without a tie rod. Uh, you know, God's little protections, you know, that's pretty amazing protection there. You know, and how do we know the tie rod was there? I've told you that we see the gouge in the road where the tie rod gouged the road all the way to the parking space that she, par that she pulled into. And it's like a right turn, a left turn, and a left turn, <laughs> you know. Gouging the road with the, with the tie rod, which I saw, know was a tie rod because when I got to the car, the tie rod was stuck in the concrete, the asphalt. Oh, wow. So I know it was the tie rod making this long stretch. You know, little things that God does to protect us. Some we may never know until we get to heaven and he shows us the things that he's done to protect us. Some, some we know, some that we understand. But, you know, he is near all right, we're going to cover this last verse. We're a couple minutes after six, but we're going to cover this last verse in this section. Concerning your testimonies, I have known of old, and you have founded them forever. Yeah. This is David saying, I've known, your, I've known your word. I've known your word for a long time. And we see David as a young man kills Goliath, and he knows God's word. Jesse obviously did a good job training up David. You know, David didn't do a very good job training up his kids, but Jesse obviously did a great job training up David. He says, I've known your testimonies from old, from, from when I was just a youngster, from, you know, and you have founded them. It is so wonderful when you get to know God's word. I am so 
blessed that I got into God's Word as a young, young child, even before anybody in my family did. I got really on fire for God's Word. You know, from 10 years on, old and on, I got on fire. I wanted to know His Word. I wanted to know what I believed and why I believed it. It was really great when my dad got saved and we could go to church more than just once. You know, I could go to church more than just once a, once a week. But, you know, I've been studying his word for a long time and it's, it's, really become, it's really real to me. And when David says, I've known your word, your testimonies from old, I understand what he's saying. Now, the key to this, though, is even if you got started late, <laughs> you've known his word from old. It's founded. It's perfect. Trust in his word. You have a lot of garbage to get out of your mind. You know, I'm very fortunate. I don't have a lot of garbage in my mind that had to have been worked out because I filled my mind with God's word. There's still garbage there because we always add garbage. You know, we can't watch TV, read anything that outside of God's word without filling our mind with garbage. And our flesh is going to fill our mind with garbage. Our friends are going to fill our mind with garbage so often. But we've got to keep in his word and retrain ourselves to think correctly. And this is why I say, you know, I really believe that if you watch three or four hours of TV, you need to watch, read God's word for at least three or four hours to, to match it. If you go study the cults or other religions for a couple hours at a time, you read in God's word and, and, and read the, the God's word for an equal amount of time. Now, I'm not saying you totally get rid of everything, but you better balance out your thought life with God's word. Get his word into your mind because this is what cleanses us. Wherewithal shall a young man keep his way by taking heed to your commands? You know, we are to wash ourselves in the word of God. This is what changes our thought process is his word. And we fill our minds with his word and we start making decisions based upon his word and we live according to his word because we fill our mind and we fill our hearts with his word because what comes out of our heart is what we are contemplating. And this is why if we fill our mind with our, his word and then we meditate on it, you know, meditation is wonderful. You can meditate while you're working, you know, while you're traveling, while you're also dealing with other things. Your mind can be working on, with God's word in the background, which is why I say the best time to read his word is in the morning. Another good time is at night before you go to bed. Because your mind doesn't go to sleep. Your mind continues to work. And, you know, I used to love just, I'd get in, God, okay, God, what do you want me to think about? And I start thinking about his word, and then I wake up still thinking about the word that I was thinking about when I fell asleep. Wow. Knowing that there was more going on in the middle of the night. Well, it's wonderful when you get a reputation out there with people, because, you know, I've shared with you on the prison, you know, they know me as a chaplain, even though I'm not the chaplain anymore. But they also know, and I've had more than one of them say that the way that I express things, they know that God is real at least to me. They may not be ready to accept him, but they know that it, to me, God is real and they know that I'm different and that, it, that I want to stand up and hold up God. And they know many of the ones that are Christians will ask me questions all the time and I love that too. So, it's, you know, so we want to keep this whole thing in mind of how do we represent God? If they're going to not like us because of the gospel message, there's nothing we can do about that. If they're not going to like us because we won't you know, participate in their sins, there's nothing we can do about that. But when we come across, like you were saying, you know, I've, we're better than you are. We're, look how we're dressed. Look at the, you know, my Bible is bigger than your Bibles. And there's a problem with that. And there's a lot of that that goes on, you know, in the name of evangelism. And I praise God that they're doing it on one side, but it's, they're also doing a lot of damage in sometimes. But we're going to close in prayer. We finish this uh, 
section. <laughs> you ready to go? No, I'm just... oh. <laughs> All right, Lord, we just thank you for this time. We thank you for how much you love and care for us and that you, you are real. You are near to us, Lord. We ask that you spend, send us out to serve you in a real capacity that we know you and will interact with people. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.